Hi everyone. In this episode, we discuss suicide. Please stop the episode here if you prefer not to listen to this topic. Welcome to It's All Mental, a podcast from Every Term Mental Health. Mental isn't a bad word. There's no health without mental health. We're here to talk about every high and low. No limits, just good conversations. Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by Steve Phillip, who is the founder of the Jordan Legacy. And Steve is on a mission to help us move towards a zero suicide society. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation, Adam. So, Steve, I just want to open up first and just ask you to talk to us about Jordan and your son, Jordan, and and tell us Jordan's story. Yes, um, thank you for asking. Uh, A conversation I have pretty well every day of of the week, and and, uh, I talk about my son a lot more now and have done in the last three and a half years than possibly I did um, going back to prior to December of 2019. Uh, Yeah, Jordan, my my son, um, who tragically took his own life uh, on December the 4th of of 2019. Um, It'd be very easy to talk about his... um, illness and mental health challenges and his and his suicide um and i will come back to that in a moment but yeah jordan was uh, a young man of 34 when we lost him uh he was someone that um had a loving family despite his mother and i uh separating and divorcing in 2005 we've maintained still to this day a, a close relationship and so he had a very loving family um a huge network of, of friends in fact i subsequently discovered after his death four separate networks um, huge networks of friends from university and where he'd lived previously his work colleagues um all who looked at jordan as this good looking just over six foot tall lad with dark hair who apparently had all the dance moves at the the weddings and social events that he went to with his friends he was the guy who invariably if his mates were struggling they would go to him uh, for some counsel and, and advice and many a story i heard on nights out in newcastle or other city centers uh, when they were out for a few beers Often his mates would be looking over their shoulders to see where jordan had gone and there he was chatting with some homeless busker and just having a conversation with them he he had a huge amount of empathy for other people uh heard tell of him being a great listener of people as well and he kind of sometimes reflect you know because jordan was diagnosed with uh clinical anxiety and depression in 2015 about four and a half years before he took his own life and you wonder kind of how much of that empathy comes from being someone who struggles with their mental health who kind of understands it and 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 gets it he had a great job he was um uh, an officer for the independent office of police conduct that obviously looks into issues relating to the police prior to that worked in immigration with the home office very well thought of and we still have a, a great relationship with his employer there as well um so on the face of it a guy that pretty well everyone in his circle aspired to be and yet underlying of course had these mental health struggles on december the 4th um my background just for a bit of context was that i'd worked in consultancy and leadership and management development for a good many years uh more recently worked uh with my own consultancy practice around social media um training large companies from toyota harley davidson other organizations large law firms how to engage with uh 
sites like LinkedIn and Twitter mm. from a business development point of view. And that's exactly what I was doing on, on December the 4th when um, I was working with International Motors Group in Solihull in the West Midlands and uh, got into my car to drive home to North Yorkshire and Harrogate where I live and received an incoming call from Jordan's girlfriend, Charlotte. And um, I had no reason to expect it was going to be anything other than a kind of social call and how we're we doing. Um, but immediately I picked up the phone and, and just heard the the anxious voice and the stress and and just her continually apologizing to me, um, just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it, it's Jordan. He's killed himself. And, um, <laughs> you know, I relive this day so many times that I could just kind of feel, you know, the moment of that call every time I talk about it, because that is the moment that my life just changed out of all recognition. And of course, anyone who knew Jordan um, as well. Um, we're now three and a half years on from that date and that phone conversation. And, you know, there are many milestones that we've had since from birthdays to anniversaries and things like that. And, and just this last week, you know, having a conversation with Charlotte herself, um, who's actually a trained clinical psychologist, and she was about to put her dissertation in at that time. Um, Charlotte and I had a conversation this week to say she's just had her last therapy session with her counsellor. They both agreed that now is 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 the time. And you think, you know, this is three and a half years on. So the impact was huge. It was enormous. The ripple effect that we know about had a huge impact, of course, on the immediate family, on work colleagues, on Jordan's network of friends. And as I discovered over the next um couple of years particularly many people that learned of Jordan's death and his suicide that had had a connection with him at one point or another um, this ripple effect seemed to just extend extend beyond the UK and overseas to to where Jordan had people that knew him or had worked with him or spent time with him very shortly after Jordan's death as you know I was suffering with with personal trauma, physical trauma myself, um, from violent head twitches to all kinds of uh, physical issues I had. But in many respects, I took on that lead male role of um, things need to be dealt with from funerals to Jordan's affairs to everything else that goes around um, a death in any situation, but particularly one by suicide with coroner's inquests and all that goes with that. But I published an article um, just three weeks after his death on LinkedIn. As I say, that was my, my background That's kind of what I did. Um, and yeah, I sometimes question why I chose that moment to, to go on to LinkedIn to share this very public story. But the, the article was, was titled The Day My Son Took His Own Life. There were two reasons why I did that. One was uh, I knew nothing about suicide, really, or mental health, despite my son having a mental health illness. So I was partially shouting out to say, is anyone else going through this kind of horror? story. I didn't really know of anyone else that experienced suicide. But also I wanted to kind of get a message out there to say, look, if you are thinking of doing anything similar in my naivety at that time, um, this is what you're going to leave behind. So kind of please don't do it. You know, that, that was kind of what was in my head. And actually that had that effect because what I hadn't anticipated was the huge global response to that article. Um, and 
people from psychologists to people who'd lost loved ones to suicide, to people working in mental health crisis teams, to people that knew me, to those people that said, you know what, I was considering doing what your son has done three weeks ago. I can't do that to my family or loved ones. I've had a change of heart. I'm going to get help or whatever. So we know it doesn't always work that way. Now, my knowledge of, of these issues is very, very different. But at the time, it had clear an impact on a lot of people. And within really four or five months of, of that article, the seeds have been sown for me founding what is now known as the Jordan Legacy a Community Interest Company. That specific aim, as you said earlier, Adam, is to help us move towards a zero suicide society. So I thought I'd leave a gap just in case you wanted to ask a question. Otherwise, I can just keep keep going. <laughs> there's a, obviously, there's, there's 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 a number of questions there, but I mean, first and foremost, Jordan sounds like an absolute star of a person. You know that story you tell there of Jordan and his empathy and 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 the the life that he brought to people's lives sounds like a fantastic individual. But my question, first question, there is just around: we know that suicide is the single biggest killer of men under the age of 35. What, as a father of, of, of somebody who's taken their own life, were, were there signs? This is the one thing that people always talk about. Were there signs? What could I have done differently? You know, what were the things I could have spotted? Those sorts of things. And it, it's easy to ask those questions, but actually living through that's a very different different thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question to ask. And, and, you know, I can say now there were absolutely worse signs. But at a time where my education about suicide and mental health was so poor, I would never have spotted those signs. You know, with, with, with the knowledge that I now have, with the, the recognition of those WhatsApp messages where Jordan, for example, would say, Dad, I'm, I'm really tired. I've had another, another poor night's sleep. You know, and now we look back and think this is, you know, two weeks now of constantly poor sleep you know my response at that time would have been to say really sorry to hear that George hope you have a better night tonight where now I know that sleep deprivation particularly um, is a clear red flag particularly if that's been happening over a prolonged period of time and typically two weeks and, and longer I think you're now at a kind of a, a red flag where had we had that conversation now I'd be saying all right George look Clearly, this this isn't good. This has been going on for a while now. I'm going to pop over. Let's have a coffee and, and a chat and, and see how you're really doing. So there were signs signs like that. There were he's at times almost quite dishevelled um, appearance. He was able to work remotely from home quite often in his job, and this is pre-COVID. Still at this stage, of course, but there were times where clearly he wasn't looking after himself as well as he could be. As lovely a guy as Jordan was, he did have his moody moments and could be. Uh, uh, and, and you know, many times now we would look at those and go, well, that was just Jordan. So, but there was particular times where he might get not aggressive physically, but maybe you could see him very, very edgy and think, well, that is a little bit out of character. You know, we'd get home and say, well, you know, with his stepmom, how did you find Jordan tonight? She said, oh, yeah, that was a little odd, wasn't it? But, you know, that was it. It was a little odd. He's not sleeping well. Hope he has a better night tonight. You know, these things now, when you look back at them, certainly the combination of things we were seeing, there were signs. And with a better education, signs that I could have could have acted on. 
and this is one of the reasons why you know education i think is is so important for for all of us yeah i think that we 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 caught up briefly before we 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 started recording this and talked about education being you know a very important thing both for education for people who are working and and supporting people with mental health issues or social issues but also education for the people who are in the moment feeling it as well around what they need to do and how they can access support education being a very important thing that will save lives i think that's re really important because you know a lot of people have said you know did jordan have talking therapy today and he didn't really know when he was first diagnosed in 2015 he had a period of 14 weeks of cbt cognitive behavioral therapy um and was prescribed antidepressants at that time he went through to different variants of, of that until he found one that seemed to suit him a little bit better, which is often the case. Um, but at no point following that initial CBT um, uh, support did he have any kind of talking therapy. Now, I don't know if he knew what was available. I mean, I wasn't recommending places to him because, again, I didn't know. I didn't know where he could go to. So what would happen each time that he would kind of wean himself off the meds, which was very much Jordan's approach, he didn't like being on them, but then recognised he needed to be back on them. He would go back to the GP, do an assessment, prescribe him some more antidepressants and we'd be back on that cycle. And in fact, it was the start of that cycle once again, it was the period when Jordan took his own life that he was about 10 or 11 days into getting back on the those that have a medical knowledge of antidepressants we know that when you kind of start any kind of treatment of that nature often it takes you to a lower place before they start to kick in and and, and work and i think jordan was at, at, was already at a very low place and i think potentially what happened there was that the meds took him to a point where there was kind of no return and there wasn't the opportunity for them to to lift him back up but did he know where to go? Well, at that doctor's appointment, he was given a card to a local mind service that had just been set up to support men, particularly. Um, instead of mindfulness, it was called mentfulness. Um, and um, he had the card on the table um, and it was there on the kitchen table when we went to his house that, that, that following morning. Um, ironically, it turns out that the, the email address wasn't working that was on there. and. I subsequently heard a converse, had a conversation with Charlotte um, who said, yeah, we, we felt we joked a little bit about it at the time. Remember, he tried to make contact, but the email address wasn't working and he kind of left it. But that was it. That's all he had. One card and that contact wasn't working. And, uh, you know, he had no idea where else he could go, I assume, you know, but I never had that conversation with Jordan, of course. Before we came on, we talked about a term which you've coined that I'm actually stealing now forever, which is around post-traumatic growth. And 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 we, we talked about the, the good things that can come out of a tragedy and the good things that can come out of a very tragic situation. And, and the Jordan legacy is obviously one of those things. Could you tell me a bit more about the Jordan legacy and around, around what, what you're doing and, and why it's important to you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really important. I, I was very clear to me very early on, Adam, that, that I wouldn't continue doing the career in consultancy. I didn't have a heart in it anymore. Um, and that initial article that I published, I knew I had a voice online to begin with, 
And it was very clear to me that suddenly I could use that voice and use all the skills and everything that I developed through my career in a very different way. And the more I started to talk to people about the issues around suicide, it seemed very clear to me that I wanted to do something. Wasn't quite sure what it was. But what has transformed over the last three years is that we've created this community interest company that many people have said punches above its weight. We have the ear of government, we have the ear of prime minister, we have the ear of many of the large charities around the UK. Um, and in that time of three and a half years, we've developed a reputation for hosting regularly online panel discussions that it won't be unusual to see between three and 700 people sign up for on various issues relating to suicide prevention. In 2021, we um, uh, launched our radio show, Jordan's uh, Space, which is a fortnightly radio show where people can share their own lived experience of mental health and suicide and always ending the the message on a or the show on a message of hope at the end we have an annual conference we host here in in harrogate called the hope for life conference um we regularly share through our resources on our website and through our social media discussion topics around suicide prevention and mental health and this year in 2023 following several months of a an ongoing action research project where we've interviewed people from heads of mental health charities and suicide prevention charities like papyrus and samaritans to the three dads walking to people impacted professionally or personally by suicide we published um, an action research project report called moving towards a zero suicide society it effectively asked two questions of all these people we interviewed and broader conversations we've had was, do you believe we can significantly reduce the number of suicides from the 6,000 plus we see in the UK each year? And if so, what would need to happen and how would we do that? And we had a number of subsection questions underneath there. So what we did, we took all that information and put it into a report in what we call a future desired state map that was written as if we were living in a zero suicide society and just to clarify that term which some people listening may be very familiar with it's a term zero suicide that can often get pushed back because people see it as a definitive target that we can eradicate all suicides we don't believe that for one minute but all the research and the evidence out there suggests that we can prevent most suicides so our definition of a zero suicide society is one which is willing and able to do all it can to prevent all preventable suicides. So our focus now with the report, which we're sharing at talks and online discussions, is to take this out to collaborate. And it's really important to, to mention that this report only came about through collaboration with other people impacted by suicide. Everything we do forward, going forward, will be through collaboration with others. And what we want to do now is bring that report to life and and achieve that zero suicide society and that's the, the most important thing here isn't it turning all of that into actionable things that we can do that will actually start to impact that staggering number of the number of, of suicides there that we need to impact so thank you so much for that work because it's i've read the report and we'll put a link into the report as well for people to read it because fascinating piece of research with some with some real clear things that will make a difference and one final point, really, it's really important that we, we we know that government have to play a role in this. People often ask, you know, suggest we want government to do more. And our question was, well, what do you want them 
to do. Let's be a bit more specific. So we have actually now launched a petition to the UK government requesting that they introduce a Suicide Prevention Act to minimise suicide. Um, and we need 10,000 signatures to get the government to take notice and acknowledge it. We need 100,000 for us to be able to attend Parliament with a committee of MPs to discuss the future of that as a potential bill in government as well. So any support for the petition, of course, we have up until January to, to reach that target 2024, uh, would obviously be greatly appreciated as well. We'll definitely include a link to that petition as well, because that's really, say, really important that we get the voices heard at the right level to get that governmental support for this change. So you mentioned there that on the Jordan show, that you, the radio show that you do, you end on a message of hope. So I'm going to turn turn this round onto you now and, and ask you, what's your message of hope for either somebody who is thinking about taking their own life or potentially a family member or a loved one who is living in the wake of, of, of that suicide? Yeah, and it's very easy to be kind of not trite with this, but just to throw some cliched saying out there. Um, but the message of hope is is this, that I have now spoken to enough people who have felt they've reached a point of being completely trapped in a situation with no sense of any kind of hope at all, who have attempted to take their own lives. And then realised afterwards or at that very moment that they wanted to live. And I think the message of hope here is that what you're going through right now, as long as it has been going on for, if you decide to end your own life, you're basically completing a permanent solution to what might be a temporary problem. There is help out there. It may seem like a minefield to try and find it. But there are enough organisations, the Jordan Legacy alone, we have a huge number of resources on our website at thejordanlegacy.com. There is hope. Hang in there. Talk to people. Let people know how you're feeling. You will not be a burden to them at all. You may be a burden to them if you choose to take your own life, which I know is the last thing you want to be. What a fantastic message of hope, Steve. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for being so open and honest about your story and, and, and telling us the wonderful work about the, the Jordan legacy. Thanks again. No, thank you for inviting me along, Adam. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to It's All Mental, a podcast from Every Turn Mental Health. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to follow, rate and share. See you next time.